Welcome to episode 232. I'm Stuart McCullough. I'm the CEO of VHAA. And joining me for this week's discussion is Senior Workplace Relations Consultant, Maria Coppolis. Welcome, Maria. Thank you, Stuart. Maria, you know the drill. Today's clue will be in three parts, uh, and these clues are intended to suggest the topic for today's discussion. Let's go straight to the first clue. Phantom faces at the windows. Phantom shadows on the floor. So it's a clip out of Les, Les Miserables um, called Empty Chairs and Empty Tables. Um, and it's a scene where he's um, looking around and there's um, there's no one around. It's a devastating scene, no doubt. Eddie Redmayne is clearly upset. Uh, and the lyrics there, phantom faces in the windows. He's looking for people who aren't there. Let's, let's run a second clue. Empty chairs and empty tables where my friends so Maria, Eddie Redmayne's not any happier. He's still pretty upset. Uh, what is it that you've seen there? So he's um, looking around and um, singing about empty chairs and empty tables. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that is very true. He's still very upset. Uh, he's he's really struggling to pull it, to pull himself together. So clearly, we're talking about people who aren't there. Um, but just as a, a little bit of a point of difference, this week we've got a third clue which is the antithesis of what it is we're trying to demonstrate today. Let's have a look at the third clip. Well, Maria, there's not much to explain there other than that, other than to say that that guy has been pulled up on stage as having the time of his life. Uh, that's obviously Boney M performing uh, Holiday. So on the one hand, we've got Eddie Redmayne uh, talking about empty chairs, empty tables, looking very, very sad. Uh, then we've got Boney M uh, and some random guy with a strange hat being pulled out of a crowd who's having a fantastic day. Um, what would you say uh, is the subject for today's discussion? I'd have to say the topic would be leave related um, or absence from work, if I had to guess. Uh, Maria, I'm going to say that that is close enough to the pin. Uh, we're talking about planned and unplanned absences. Uh, unplanned absences of the kind that uh, Eddie Redmayne seems committed to singing about at length. Uh, and we've got planned absences in the context of a uh, holiday. And in particular, we're discussing the amended term for planned and unplanned absences under the new medical scientists agreement. So that's right. Um, their existing um, agreement has an, a term entitled planned and unplanned absences at clause 34. And that term has been amended through the most recent negotiations. And even though it's it's uh, titled planned and unplanned absences. It really could be uh, titled something like backfill. That's right. The key purpose of that clause is to identify the circumstances where an employer is obliged to backfill. And what if that's not possible? So if backfill is not possible, then prioritising work and um, the clause goes into some detail there. We've discussed in a previous podcast that this round of bargaining was really defined by workload as a theme. Yes, um, and, and this clause is an important clause in terms of the effect it has on workload. So together with the preceding clause 33, and, and members will recall that that was the subject of uh, VHA podcast episode 229, um, the first subclause of the amended term really goes to the issue of, of purpose. 
Um, and it is indeed entitled purpose. So let's get it up on screen. For the benefit of those at home, um, the purpose um, sets out that in order to maintain safe staffing and workload levels and appropriate clinical standards, the employer will backfill an absence or where that uh, where that is not possible, prioritise work in accordance with this clause. So really, Maria, that reflects the previous subclause one, but it's been separated out so that there's an unambiguous and clear statement as to what the clause is doing. Yes, so the clause has been restructured. The second subclause defines the key terms. So let's go through those key terms, those definitions uh, in turn. So the first term is in relation to backfill, uh, and it provides that backfill means the replacement of an absent employee at the same classification and time fraction, or where the replacement employee is classified at a higher grade than the absent employee, the replacement employee's higher rate. So first things first, is that different to the previous agreement? Yes and no. Um, the elements in that definition were in the previous agreement, but they weren't presented as that de definition. That is um, the same classification and time fraction unless the replacement employee has a higher rate. So the term backfill is essentially defined as like for like. Uh, we'll come back to that issue a little bit later, but the next defined term is absence. And which is defined as, as, as follows. Uh, absence includes any type of leave approved by the employer or work cover, either separately or in combination. Uh, Maria, that's a departure from the previous agreement. It is. Um, the previous agreement distinguished between different types of leave as follows. So for the purposes of 34.1a, leave includes a period of leave of two or more, um, of two weeks or more of annual leave, parental leave, long service leave, leave without pay, professional development leave, study leave and work cover absences, um, providing that when a period of leave is two weeks or more, a backfill employee will be appointed from the first day of such leave. So the previous clause listed different types of leave, and part of the union's claim was to add other types of leave to that list. So determining your obligation by leave type is an additional layer of complexity and is irrelevant to the purpose of the clause. Rather than distinguishing between the types of leave, it was better to define absences as being any type of leave. So the next definition uh, is important in that it's one of those terms that makes up the title of the clause. Yes, uh, a planned absence is defined as uh, any absence of an employee where it is known in advance, it will be for two or more calendar weeks. So really interesting to note that there are two distinct elements uh, to that definition for a planned absence. Uh, it's an absence as per the previous definition, uh, and it's known in advance that it will be for two weeks or more. Does that then take us to the definition of an unplanned absence? It does, um, although in the case of an unplanned absence, it is distinguished between shift workers and rostered weekend workers and others. Um, so let's get that up on screen. So unplanned absence is an absence of an employee where in the case of a shift worker or rostered weekend worker under clause 34.4, the absence was not known in advance or in the case of all other employees under clause 34.5, it was not known in advance that it would be for two or more calendar weeks. Examples of an unplanned absence may include personal leave, resignation, or termination of employment resulting in a vacancy or late approved leave. 
What are the key things to note here, Maria? So firstly, um, that if we're talking about a shift worker or a rostered weekend worker, the length of the absence is immaterial. If the absence wasn't known in, in advance, then it's an unplanned absence. And for those who aren't either a shift worker or a, a rostered weekend worker? Then the question is whether it was known in, in advance, the absence would be for two or more calendar weeks. So just in terms of that phrase, known in advance, what do we mean by known in advance? So generally we're talking about leave that is the subject of an application like annual leave. So the clause gives examples that may be an unplanned absence such as personal leave, resignation or late approved leave. So if someone calls in before the shift starts and says they're sick, is that planned or unplanned? That's still unplanned in the circumstance, but there are circumstances where people do give advance notice and they'll be absent on personal leave for more than two weeks. So it's important to consider the circumstances. So, so far we've covered purpose and we've covered key definitions. What does the clause oblige employers to do? So subclause three sets out an obligation to replace staff on planned absence or prioritise work. All right, so let's get that up on screen. Replacement of staff on planned absence, the employer will backfill a planned absence from the first day of the absence except it's provided at 34.3b uh, 34 below, and where despite best endeavours, the employer is unable to backfill a period of leave because a suitably experienced and qualified employee is unavailable. The work will be prioritised under clause 34.7 below. Uh, again, Maria, there are two distinct elements. The first is backfill, that is like for like replacement from the first day of absence. And clearly what the clause requires uh, you to, is to start there. Um, what's the second element? The second element acknowledges what happens if you try and backfill and can't. So the words that jump out for me are despite best endeavours. Uh, so it's essential that members begin uh, with attempting to backfill. And if you can't, um, then you prioritise the work in accordance with subclause 7, which we'll come to shortly. So before we move on, Maria, uh, why might it not be possible to backfill? So the clause itself identifies the reason because a suitably experienced and qualified employee is unavailable. So leaving aside general workforce issues that are widespread across a lot of occupations, the professions covered by this agreement are highly skilled, which makes them rarer still, including highly specialised roles. So leaving aside the clause for a minute, um, one of the standout issues is how to increase capacity in the system because workforce issues are real uh, and are much bigger than this clause. Um, that's clear in terms of planned absences. Uh, what about unplanned absences? Again, it's here that our distinction between shift and rostered weekend workers and everyone else becomes important. Um, the first thing it does uh, is say that backfill is for the duration of the absence. So unplanned absences for shift workers and rostered weekend workers, um, where a shift worker or rostered weekend worker is on an unplanned absence, the employer will backfill the absent employee for the duration of the absence. Save that. So we've got our rule here um, for unplanned absences for shift workers and rostered weekend workers, but it's impossible to not notice that the extract uh, ends with the words, save that. Is there an exception? It's not so much an exception as it is a limitation on who can be used for backfill purposes. Specifically, there are limits with respect to the use of on-call staff. 
an unplanned employee who is rostered on call will not be recalled to fill an unplanned absence unless the absence is advised after 4pm on the day preceding the absence and another replacement employee is not available. Just to, just to emphasise again, we're talking about shift workers and rostered weekend workers here. So what does that term in a practical sense do? So in effect, it both imposes a limit by saying that the person on call can only be on call in where the absence in question has been advised to the employer fairly late in the piece. And there's a second element. And that the other replacement is not available. So the obvious question is this, why impose that limitation? So on-call payments are made so that someone keeps themselves available to return to work. If you're paying them an on-call allowance, you know they're available. So why then limit when that resource can be utilised? So those on-call aren't the only option, but they are probably the easiest. And the difficulty with that, um, there's risk that the demand arising from unplanned absences fall on too few people, resulting in fatigue. So there's a concern that the demand arising from unplanned absence is too great if it falls solely uh, to those people who are on call. So that deals with absences that are notified late. So the clause goes to say that where an unplanned absence is known by the employer by 4pm on the day preceding the absence and the absence remains unfilled after all endeavours to replace the absent employee have been exhausted, the rostered on-call person can be recalled to fill the absence as a matter of last resort. So interestingly for me, although they're separated out in the clause, whether it's before or after 4pm, it, it takes you pretty much to a similar place, doesn't it? Yes, um, that you're looking for an alternative before you consider the person on call. And that's for shift and weekend workers. What about other employees? So the term states um, unplanned absences uh, for other employees. Um, the employer will backfill an unplanned absence of two weeks or more. And where, despite best endeavours, the employer is unable to backfill a period of leave because a suitably experienced and qualified employee is unavailable, the work will be prioritised under clause 34.7 below. So time, uh, two weeks or more is critical. The unplanned absence must be for two weeks or more. And again, uh, we have that language around what to do if you can't. So if you can't meet the obligations to backfill, you move to subclause seven, which concerns work prioritisation. When we were discussing uh, shift workers and weekend workers, we touched on the issue of uh, backfilled by whom. Uh, the clause then goes out to, uh, to set a, a really a sequence or an order of preference, if you will, in terms of who should do the backfill. It does. Um, so the clause reads as follows. The employer will backfill by offering existing part-time staff and, where necessary, casual staff, which may include bank staff, additional shifts in the first instance. So that principle of preferring part-time before getting casual employees is pretty common across healthcare. Yes, so it effectively gives preference to those in secure employment whilst acknowledging that supplementary labour in the form of casuals may still be required. So throughout this discussion, we've focused on the obligation to backfill uh, and when it arises and what it means. But each element has included a provision around work prioritisation as set out in subclause 7 where backfill is not possible. Which takes us to subclause 7, which has five elements. 
So the first um, is in relation to non-backfilled absences and work prioritisation. So where either a planned or unplanned absence is not backfilled, the employee will immediately prioritise work to ensure that workloads for other employees who may be asked to perform the duties of the absent employee are adjusted by reducing their usual duties, or the work of the absent employee is not required to be undertaken by any employee. Other employees will not unreasonably be required to work overtime to complete their work uh, and the work of the absent employee. So the work of the absent employee can be done by others, but it's not just added on top of um, existing work resulting in overtime. The work demands are adjusted to fit within the available time. Or the work of the absent employee is not performed. So the next element states that prioritise work arrangements made under subcourse 34.7a shall be provided in writing to employees in the service department of the absent employee and available for inspection by the union upon request. So what does that requirement to put it in writing do? It's not enough to say that you've amended the work arrangements, you need to show that you have. So putting in writing makes it unambiguous and tangible. It means that people are giving consideration to how to meet the requirements of the clause. And the third element is a statement of the obvious. So if overtime is worked, the provision of clause 59 overtime will apply. So nothing wrong with the statement of the obvious. Members will recall from the last podcast that clause 33 had a similar statement. So the, the fourth element is as follows. Uh, employers will employ adequate relief employees to obtain an appropriate replacement scientist or pharmacist from the public health sector relief bank or equivalent. So there are challenges around that in terms of whether such employees might exist, given the highly qualified and sometimes specialised specialized nature of the work. But the message here is to, is to factor in absences. And absences will occur. Um, resourcing should take that into account. A staffing pool that doesn't factor in leave means that workload issues will almost inevitably arise. And we know that members often factor into their rosters um, absences wherever possible. Um, Maria, the fifth element. So that concerns the return of the absent employee, uh, really to ensure they're not required to fit two weeks work into one because they were absent. Um, so what that clause provides is that an absent employee will, uh, upon return to work, receive appropriate support to enable them to complete work not done in their absence and is still required to be done. And subclause 7 goes to the issue of managing workload as an active process when backfill can't occur. So the next term goes to information. Um, so it sets out the, the matters in this clause are directly relevant to workload and the employer will provide information to the Workplace Implementation and Compliance Committee as required by subclause 17.10 of this agreement. In the event that a WIC has not been established and there is a dispute with respect to this clause, the employer will provide relevant information that will provide clarification of the workload or staffing issues. Information that could be relevant is outlined at clause 17.10c. So this goes to an issue we spoke about in podcast episode 229. There are types of information that may indicate what's happening in terms of workload and providing information for discussion helps that discussion become informed rather than subjective. And the next subclause goes to the issue of banks, including industry banks, uh, which is something of a work in progress. And Maria, what about dispute settlement? 
So the final subclause makes the point that disputes can be under the dispute settling procedure. Which of course is true of all terms under the agreement. Maria, thanks for taking us through clause 34 of the new medical scientists agreement. I can't think of any better way to end this podcast than by returning to a little bit more footage from Misery Guts himself, Eddie Redmayne. Thank you, Maria. Empty chairs at empty tables Where my friends will sing No Each I hate that company, each I hate that company, each I hate that company.